Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Twentieth Century Fox Studio, Cary Grant, Deborah Carr, and director Leo McCary discuss their newest production, An Affair to Remember. The producer is Jerry Wald of Johnny Belinda and the Eddie Duchin story fame. If you've ever been in love or ever hoped to be in love, here's a story you'll love with all your heart. Told with all the warmth and tenderness of Leo McCary's Going My Way and his Bells of St. Mary's. Here are a few scenes. I miss you. I miss you. Why don't you phone more often? Oh, I will, I will. Don't go away. Now, couldn't we at least eat together, you know, in my room or yours or something? The news would be all round the ship before we had our salad. Oh. Crew talks too, you I understand. Do go round the other way. You're making me dizzy. I feel better, do Wait a minute. Something else I want to say. <clears throat> now, listen, darling, I... You know, astonishing. Well, I guess we can start now. Now, remember, watch me closely. We mustn't goof today. He's your friend without a doubt. He's your conscience. He knows you inside. Things come too easy, little Niccolo. He's always attracted by the art he's not practicing. The place he hasn't been, the girl he hasn't met. Perhaps I shouldn't have met him. No, my dear, you are different. What have you two been talking about? Uh, oh, you'll be surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you think of something spiteful? Something mean that you could do. Must you be so darn delightful? You make it easy to be true. Uh, why can't we go on doing this forever? Hmm? Uh, I had a talk with the captain. It won't work.
Hi guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I am your host Jimbo, and once again I'm joined by the lovable, fluffable Kyle. Kyle Zayner. Zayner. Uh, today we'll be talking about episode 90, an affair to remember one of the great classics starring Cary Grant. So Kyle, before we get started, the question for you I have is, if you were to meet the love of your life on a cruise ship <laughs> in six months, where would you want her to meet you at? I'm going to say McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's? <laughs> For you. Six months meet at a same place. <laughs> Indiana Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be striped. <laughs> Throwback to last week's episode. And he's looking for Phoebe Cates. That's all right, Kyle. Yeah. We heard she said that you kiss like a brother. So exactly. If you, if you go back to last week's episode and listen to the Gremlins episode, you'll get a lot of it. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. so, Kyle, uh, let's go ahead and take it away. All right. We have An Affair to Remember, released on July 11th of 1957, directed by Leo McCary. Writers include Delma Davis, Delma Daves. Leo McCurry, Mildred Cram, and Donald Ogren Stewart. Producer was Jerry Wald. Composer was Hugo Fred Hoffer. Cinematographer was Milton R. Krasner. The box office was a we don't have a but we don't have a budget for the movie, but we do have the gross worldwide of three point eight million dollars, so the equivalent of about thirty eight million dollars today. So about a ten x increase of inflation over the years. Woo, woo, inflation. That stuff's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting worse. Yep. Um, quick plot summary. Um, Nikki's return to New York to marry a rich Harris is well publicized as are many's antics and affairs, but he meets a nightclub singer, Terry McKay, who is also on her way home for a longtime boyfriend who she also intends to marry. She sees him as just another playboy, and he sees her as a standoffish, but over the next several days, they fall in love. <laughs> Nikki's never really worked in his life, so they agree that they will meet again in six months, a time the Empire State Men, and they will give time to deal with their current relationships and for Nikki to see if they can actually earn a living. He returns to painting and is reasonably successful. Um, and uh, we have more movie stuff that happens later on in the plot, but that is a quick plot summary there. Um, next up, we have the, I believe, the technical details. We have a full runtime of uh, just 115 minutes. The sound mix is a stereo Westrex recording system. This is a color film. The aspect ratio is 2.4 by 1, so a very wider aspect ratio than usual. Camera was the, um, the Bosch and Lom lenses. The process was Cinescope Anamographic, and the printed format was, of course, 35 millimeters. Next up, we're going to move on to filming locations this time, because we've got some notable filming locations. Um, first up, we have Century City in Los Angeles, California. Uh, uh, the Alps Maritimes in France, um, a church on our way to um, Chien, a church on our way to the um, grandmother's house. Then we have the French Riviera in France, and then we have New York City, New York, of course. Okay, and then we move on to Terrence's favorite parts. Wish we had him here today. Unfortunately, he's under the weather. Um, we will move on to the awards. And for the awards, we have first up the Academy Awards of 1958. It was nominated for an Oscar for Best Costume Design, nominated for Best Music and Original Song for as a, uh, from uh, the lyrics by Harold Adamson's Harry Henron and Leo, Leo McCrory for the song An Affair to Remember. It's also nominated for Best Cinematography, nominated for Best Scoring, Nominated for director, uh, it was nominated for the 1958 Directors Guild of America Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Motion Ventures. 
It was in 1958. It was also nominated for the um, Top Music Composer Award to Hugo Fred Hoffer for um, Top Music Composer. In 1953, it also won the Photo Play Awards for Gold Medal. And then in 1957, it won the Box Office Magazine Awards Best Picture of the Month for the Whole Family. And in 1957, it it was nominated for the Faroe Island Film Festival Award for Best Film. Moving on to my main dish, as I said last week and this week again, we move on to the cast of an affair, remember? First up, of course, we have the legendary Cary Grant playing Nicky Ferrante. Um, he, of course, um, also best known for movies we covered before, such as North by Northwest in 1959, also films like To Catch a Thief in 1955, and Charade in 1963. Then, of course, we have more legendary actors like Deborah Kerr, Kerr, Deborah Kerr playing Jerry McKay. Uh, she's in films such as The King and I in 1956, From Here to Eternity in 1953, and The Innocence in 1961. Yeah, that's a lot of good movies a right there. A lot of fantastic films. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, like the, the big names in this movie went on to go do many other films as well, especially for that whole era. Next up, we have Kathleen Nesbitt playing Nick's grandmother. Um, she can be seen in such films as Staircase in 1969, The Tigon the Factory in 1966, and So Long at the Fair in 1950. Next up, we have Neva Patterson playing Lois Clark. Uh, she can be seen in such movies as David and Lisa in 1962, Death Set in 1957, and The Spiral, Reed, the Spiral Road in 1962. Then we have Richard Denning playing Kenneth Bradley. Uh, he can be such films as Mr. and Mrs. North TV series in 1952, and The Black Scorpion in 1957, and Target Earth in 1954. Going forward, we'd have Robert Q. Lewis playing the TV interviewer in the beginning of the movie, and as well as the later interviewer when uh, they get off the cruise ship. Um, he can just film such, such films and programs as... The Names the Same show between 1951 and 55, and The Robert and Lewis Show in 1954 to 1956. He was also in the film Get the Message In in 1964. Next up, we have Fortunio Bonanova playing the Corbett. He can be seen in such films as Fiesta in 1947, Thunder in the Sun in 1959, and The Kneeling Goddess in 1947. And last, we have Charles Watts playing Ned Hathaway. He can be filmed, seen in such films as Something Wild in 1961, Billy Rose's Jumbo in 1962, Ada in 1961, and Apache Rifles in 1964. And that is the cast of An Affair to Remember. Jimbo, take it from me. Take it from you, what? Take it from me. Um, just, uh, he's I, like, I'm out of breath. I Sane words. <laughs> <laughs> Take the sane words from me. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, can I just say how great of an actor Cary Grant was? Um, I don't know if I saw a movie that he was in that I didn't like, that he didn't just knock it out of the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, even if the movie wasn't good, like, Cary Grant was always good in it. Right. Yeah, that's, he's just that, that kind of actor. Right. Know? So with that being said, uh, Cary Grant was 53 years old when doing this movie. Mm-hmm. Um his uh, mother or his grandmother uh, that played by Kathleen Nesbitt, she was only 15 years uh, older than him. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> The wow. grandmother. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Grandmother, yeah. huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, during filming, Cary Grant's wife, Betsy Drake, had him visiting a hypnotist to help him quit smoking. She also packed him a hamper full of health food uh, for his lunch. 
though he often finished it before starting filming because without cigarettes, he was hungry all the time. Yeah, had the munchies, that oral fixation, you just got to swing your mouth at all times. Right, he started smoking in uh, 1911, and he gave up his 60-a-day cigarette habit during filming, although he continued smoking occasional cigarette for several more years. 60 cigarettes a day, I don't know if... Would you say that's a chain is, smoker? Is, is that a carton a day? Is that a carton a day? I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I've never smoked. Exactly. I don't, I don't know, know. know if he's in a carton, but that sounds up there. <laughs> well, I mean, let's just say there's 15 in a pack. That's what? Four packs four a day? Four packs a day. I don't know how many of the pack either. So. Uh, Deborah Kerr and Cary Grant improvised many of their scenes throughout filming, and a number of lines that made it into the final cut of the film came from the actors and provisions. I always think sometimes those are the best lines that's, that are in a movie are the ones where they were improvised, so well, they weren't stuck necessarily to a script. Yeah, and also it's just so like the whole film, all the dialogue is so quick-witted, and it's just on, on top of it, it really impressed me. It just like It feels like a modern movie in that sense, where it's like the dialogue is just so on point. Yeah, that's just like uh, they say, like Leo McCar- M- McCary, uh, the director or whatever, um, he allowed a lot of his uh, actors to do that on several of the films that he did. Yeah, a lot of artistic freedom that way, and uh, really just shows in the film to uh, pay off in a big way. You know. uh, during filming, cinematographer Milton R. Krasner pointed out to Cary Grant that a lump on his forehead was making it hard to film his close-ups. The lump was the result of a childhood accident, but Grant had been habitually rubbing it for years, leading it to swell. Doctors told him it would be uh, it would take four to six weeks for him to recover for, from its removal. Instead, he took a few days off, had his wife Betsy Drake hypnotize him, and had the procedure performed in the doctor's office under a local anesthetic. He recovered within days with no scarring. Wow, that's incredibly lucky. <laughs> that's something you don't hear a lot about today is hypnoti- hypnotism. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a, it's 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 fallen out of favor in most sense. You know, like it's it's also one of the things like hypnotism is a. Uh, and uh, not a science of all, of all things to have your wife be a hypnotist. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, yeah. you will go to the store for me. You <laughs> will go make supper. There is, <laughs> you will do the laundry. I, not to get into like any kind of like the magical or spiritual essence of it, but like a lot of the stuff like of actual studies about hypnotism is like it only works if you believe in it. And as soon as that word kind of got out, everyone stopped believing in it. So then hypnotism didn't work. <laughs> you know, that kind of idea. So uh, uh, kind of a funny thing there. So yeah, you don't really hear about hypnotism that much anymore. Uh, Deborah Kerr's singing was dubbed by Marnie Nixon, who also dubbed her in The King and I in 1956, the previous year. Wow. So, I guess she had her uh, own personal dubbist. Dubbist. (laughs) Personal dubbist. (laughs) Take my card. I'm a personal dubbist. What? Um, To help promote the film, Cary Grant did something that he usually tried to avoid at all costs was... Uh, a TWA, which was actually okay with him because it was the airline of his choice. So oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Ingrid Bergman was the first choice to play Terry McKay. Doris Day was also considered before Deborah Kerr was cast. Them two, Ingrid Bergman and Doris Day, are legendary actresses. Truly, like I wouldn't say it wouldn't have worked, but it been a very different film because Deborah and Carrie had such. Um, uh, a clear chemistry there where like it didn't it didn't so much feel like acting as much as just like them naturally expressing feelings for each other but so, that's what a good actor does that's what a good actor does that's what that's the thing that really is impressive about it but still like they, they sold it so well it doesn't feel like acting at that point it just feels effortless in a really impressive way mm-hmm. yeah so um Harry Warren tried 25 different melodies before he came up with a tune that would sound right at, as a piano piece is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something I didn't know either. This is actually a remake. 
a remake. Yeah, the working title of this movie was titled Love Affair. The film is actually a remake of Love Affair from 1939. 1939. Kind of like to, to see that. Add that to the backlist, see how they compare and contrast. Because yeah, obviously, if I remember, kind of yes. got, kind of got, you know, I mean, it's obviously the more well remembered one. But maybe Love Affair is a good film in its own right. Who knows? Yeah, and I'm wondering if there's any differences. You know what I mean? That you could check and yeah. see. Or if the Love Affair movie is actually like really, really bad or something like that. Like, you know, that'd be kind of, that's kind of like the dream in Hollywood, to some degree. If like other film watchers is like having a remake of a bad movie to get it right this time, I would love to see that. Happen. Well, here's a little bit more about it. Uh, Deborah Kerr plays Terry McKay, previously played by Irene Dunn in Love Affair 1939, of which this film is a remake. Both were directed by Leo McCary. Wow. Uh, the year before this film was made, Kerr played Anna Leon's, Leo Leon Owens in The King and I, also a role that had previously been played by Irene Dunn in the black and white classic and in The King of Siam. Siam in 1946. Hmm. The King and I is a musical based on the same book. So I don't remember hearing much about like any actors coming back to their like any directors coming back to an original remake of their work. That's highly unusual. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, mean usually I, there's like a draft or something like that. Like, I remember um, the movie Baby Driver. Um, the director, I can't remember the director's name off the top of my head, um, but like I know he made a music video that was very much like the Baby Driver movie in like a like an early draft sense. Yeah, I'm um, trying to think of like Wes Craven ever came back for like a remake of something Friday the 13th whatever yeah, it is yeah, you know the, the, the Brad director George Romero if he ever came uh, George Romero didn't he come back in Dawn of the Dead maybe yeah well, that I was think, just I another a continuation did he, did he do sort. the Night of the Living Dead the remake I think he may have I'm pretty sure he had some responsibility yeah, that. we'll look it up we'll a look that'd be a deep yeah. dive and look into that that'd be an interesting mm-hmm. uh, little side episode yeah uh, this film was referenced in the movie Sleepless in Seattle, where Rita Wilson's character explains the story to Tom Hanks and breaks down into tears doing so. Uh, that's another great movie, too. That's actually why I suggested this movie in the first place, actually. Yeah, I, really? I suggested the movie earlier this year, but it was just because I had watched Sleepless in Seattle earlier that week. I was like, oh yeah, we should watch that. Uh, when Nikki <laughs> and Terry first meet, she says, I might as well confess to you, I am a jewel thief. Cary Grant played a reformed jewel thief in To Catch a Thief in 1955, which is another great movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's an excellent Cary Grant movie. Yes, I absolutely love it. I actually like uh, Arsenic and Old Lace. That's a great movie, too. Arsenic and Old Lace is probably best. Uh, probably my favorite Cary Grant movie would probably still be North by Northwest because that was an incredible movie in my mind. Um, um, there's also a Bollywood film with the title Man, uh, Soul's Heart in 1999, starring... I'm probably going to slaughter these, so I'm sorry in advance... Amir Khan and Manisha Korala uh, was inspired by this movie. So, oh, it's actually the first uh, movie of two remakes of Love Affair, starring Charles Boyer and Irene Dunn. Leo McCarty directed both the original and the remake. Cary Grant, the star of this film, co-starred with Irene Dunn in The Awful Truth in 1937, which was also directed by McCarry. The second remake was Love Affair in 1994. Which featured a cameo by Katherine Hepburn as the grandmother. Oh. Cary Grant co-starred with Hepburn in Bringing Up Baby in 1938, Holiday 1938, and The Philadelphia Story, which is a great, a great yes, one it too. Is. I agree. Um, I wonder if that point, like, because like, Grand Love Affair is such a um, kind of a simple concept of a movie. Calling it a remake almost feels um, somewhat misleading at some point because at the same time it's just like it's just a love affair movie. It's not like necessarily a name in itself. It's so, it's so generic that it's just the genre itself at that point, even though it is a straight remake, I guess. I don't know. Well, it feels and misleading to some degree, you know, and, and I'm thinking, you know, most of the times when you think of an affair, you think of 
cheating so, or something. Uh, cheating on, on your spouse. But in this, they weren't married yet. They, they, were, were, they were both betrothed. Yes, betrothed, willing to be read, wed. And they were both in a committed relationship. So, but they didn't like, they didn't, granted, the cultural norms of what's acceptable and not is changed a little bit today, but they didn't sleep together or something like that during this time. So they wouldn't be viewed as like cheating necessarily. But they did share a kiss, which can be viewed as cheating right. in some way as well. And clearly shared that kind of romantic interest in each other. So it's. It's it's interesting, yeah, because like it's you kind of you feel bad for the people the people they leave to because they aren't bad people they just aren't the people they love at the end of the day so it's interesting movie to have that kind of like a moral kind of gray area a little bit where it's like yes it's clear that they need to be together for each other and we agree for them in the film but at the same time they are kind of hurting some other people that didn't need to be hurt right so yeah um, the ballet footage it reappears in the movie The Fly released the following year. Oh. So that's really interesting, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was voted the number five greatest romance movie of all time by the American Film Institute. This is the highest voted film in which the two lovers actually end up together in the end. Oh, wow. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. I mean, I guess if we call Titanic one, they ended up together. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you think about it. Ooh, that's, uh, that's, that's harsh. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, Nikki and Terry uh, make their conditional promise to meet in six months at exactly the halfway point of the film at 59 and a half minutes into the 119 minute movie. That's it. Doesn't feel like it to me, though. To me, like the like as soon as the Empire State Building, like as soon as they meet the Empire State Building, that feels like the last third to me in a lot of ways. Well, um, but but if you remember, but like the first, the first probably good half of the movie, they're on that ship. Yeah, but to me, to me, the ship feels like three fourths of the movie almost to me. It feels like the majority of the movie after it doesn't have the same kind of like speed to it. I guess something like that. Right. Yeah, it was like really quick. I thought. Yeah. After, after the movie, yeah. So. Um, Kyle, that's uh, pretty much all the notes we have on this. So, uh, why don't you give me a little bit of how you feel about this movie? You know, that, that, that's uh, another factor. Kind of thing. This movie, the I mentioned that before we started recording. This movie is really straightforward yeah. and being really good. So there isn't like a ton of trivia or fun facts to like grab onto it. Um, doesn't really lend itself well to a podcast in that way, but it's still a great movie to watch itself. So. Overall, I felt um, incredible with this movie. I thought it was a great love story. I think it holds up. Um, not just it remarkably well, but just insanely well. It doesn't make sense how well it holds up to me in some ways because it's just um, the writing is so um, smart and quick and uh, really worth really worth hearing. And uh, there's no um, well, to my knowledge, there's nothing that like has aged significantly poorly throughout the entire film. And uh, I really do love it. It's a it's a great romance for any generation to watch, um, even now. Um, so no, I, I truly appreciate the film. I think it's great for the genre, and if you're a fan of films in this genre, it's a it's a must see at a certain point. So that's overall my feelings. I think it's a great film. Jimbo, how do you feel? Well, as I said, Cary Grant's just a, such a fantastic, fantastic actor. Um, I think I think there's more underlying of this story that that people need to realize. Uh, so yes, they do plan to meet at the. Um, Empire State, Empire State Building. Building six months after they get back from their trip, which Cary Grant is uh, betrothed to like one of the wealthiest women. Um, always has photographers following him around, and um, yeah. they they just drag him off the ship and he goes straight to like a TV studio. Sit down, and he's like, yeah. She's like, well, when are you getting married? He's like, six months. <laughs> you know what I mean? He actually yeah. put it out there. Um, and and the other guy, you f- you generally feel bad for Deborah Kerr's, um, uh, yeah, uh, because you just know he wants the best for her. Um, 
but she just keeps blowing him off. Well, um, there's also tragedy in this movie. Um, well, when Deborah Kerr goes and meets his grandmother, is a great scene too because she knows. She tells Cary Grant, she said, "Look, so these these type of women don't come around a lot and often. You better make sure you know what you're doing." I'm oh, summing yeah. it up in Jimbo Jimbo's words, but yeah. Um, and she wanted, uh, she really liked the, the uh, what's her name, Terry, I think's her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, she really liked the shawl that his grandmother wore, and she's like, well, one day I'll send it to you. Yeah, very so, clearly showing her favoritism, like, this is the woman you need to marry, right. this one for So, you. later right. on in the film, when um, she's going to meet him at the Empire State Building, uh, she's so excited that she jumps out of the cab, and she's just looking up at the Empire State Building, and she gets hit by a car. Yeah. Which, in turn... She can't meet um, Cary Grant up there. He's up there waiting for her, waiting for her. He keeps checking the people coming out of the Waits elevator. Waits all night long, yeah. And to come to find out that she's in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's paralyzed. And that's the reason she couldn't go see him. Well, t- he's a struggling artist. He ends up not marrying the girl. And you find out that one of his paintings was sold or given away, I can't remember, to a lady that couldn't really afford it. Uh, but she was in a wheelchair and he th- uh, thought she could, you know. Yeah, I thought she could use it. So at the end of the movie, uh, Cary Grant hunts her down her apartment and he comes in there and you see her just sitting on the on the couch with her legs up on the couch. You don't know she's paralyzed at this point. I don't think. Well, you know, the audience knows she's paralyzed at this point, but um, uh, Nikki doesn't. No, right. Cary Grant's character does not know. So, um, and they're both just. Too- and he's mad. I mean. I don't think he's mad, but he's like, why, why didn't you show up? You know, you promised you would be there. And she said, well, there's just some things that came up and, you, and I just well, couldn't yeah. be there. Well, he's making clear, like he, well, he's trying to play it off like, oh, I wasn't there. Right. So I need to apologize to you for not being there. And then, you know, she, and then she plays it off like she was there, you know, so they're both just too prideful to admit that, you know, what the, what actually happened that day. Um, and actually clear things up that he waited all night for her and that she that she tried to show up and got in an accident. They're both they both unwilling to admit to it. They both have this lie that they both showed up and they're that that they both didn't show up basically. They both like blew and, her off. And Carrie Grant's you know. a smart man because he starts figuring it out. Like she's yeah. on the couch and and he's and he's getting relieved. He's like, Oh, by the way, you know, I sold a uh, a painting, you know, of uh, uh you and the white shawl or whatever it was because he actually brought it to, or he actually brought the shawl to her because his grandma passed away. Yeah. Um, but he goes in. He's like, oh, before, and he's just looking around, and he opens up the bedroom door or whatever, and he sees the painting hanging on the wall. And it's at that moment that he realizes that it's her, and that she's the reason she wasn't there is because she was in an accident and she's paralyzed. And I think you know the the movie pretty much ends when he goes over there and she said, uh, and she says something to the effect that if you can paint. Then I can walk, or something like that. Uh, I can't remember yeah. the exact quote, but uh, it's such a powerful movie um, that love conquers all. You know what I mean? And and I think I think she thought that he wouldn't want to be with her because she was uh, a, a, had a disability now too. I think that plays into it a little bit. Yeah, you know, but very or the, or the idea that like he like yeah, she was afraid to see him for that reason, and like even her um, her ex lover at that point even offered to help her, but she didn't want to have that guilt to her to him or something like that, you know, like or like you know, it was just one of those things like it was a rock and a hard place for her where she couldn't walk to tell him what actually happened, and uh, at the same time, and he is so emotionally devastated he doesn't want to admit how vulnerable and how hurt he really was by it all, so it's, it's a 
it's a powerful thing to see how both they they eventually come to realize the misunderstanding they've had and come together and realize they can overcome anything basically. So an incredibly powerful film emotionally in that way. So I appreciate it as well. Right, mm-hmm. and it's a very very moving movie. I mean, you sit there and you you watch it and you're just the. I texted Kyle when I was watching or messaged him and I said. Man, I said, I forgot how powerful of a movie this was. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, it's all kinds of good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, definitely, definitely worth your watch. I mean, especially if you're a fan of love stories, if you're a fan of Cary Grant, um, or even just older movies, this is an outstanding movie to watch. So, mm-hmm. well, um, I think that's about all we have for this episode. It's going to be a little bit shorter because there really wasn't that much on there. Uh, remember our live event coming up in July. Uh, purchase tickets on Eventbrite uh, if you want to download the app and just search for uh, Hillbilly Horror Stories. Uh, you'll see us pop up there for tickets. I think they're $20. Um, also, uh, if you want to join us on our Facebook page, the Tragedy of Cinema podcast group, uh, we have a lot of fun on there and joke around and stuff like that. Um, also, we're on like Twitter, the Tragedy of Cinema on Twitter. We're on Instagram. All the know, social media. All that stuff. Yeah. Kyle... TikTok Kyle still I, hasn't started, but he's going to be starting a tragedy of cinema TikTok. So someday, someday, time, sometime soon, I got some ideas. We'll you don't know. You out. don't know what kind of crazy stuff will there's be a, on there. There's so. a whole world there on the internet. I can guarantee you web. one thing: mm-hmm. Phoebe Cates won't be. Phoebe Cates will not be on it. <laughs> she refused to make a guest appearance. I don't know why. I uh, if, if you, you want to know a little bit about that inside joke, uh, during the casting last week of Gremlins. And Kyle was calling her Phoebe Cates instead of Phoebe, Phoebe, Cates, Phoebe Cates. And he just alienated a bunch of the 80s people. So Exactly. Well, with that yeah. being said, I think this episode is coming to a close. And that's a wrap. And cut. <laughs>